Well, if you've been with us over the last couple of months, you know that we've been working through the book of Colossians, and we are coming to the end. We're going to do all of chapter 4 today and uh, wrap that up. There's only four chapters in Colossians. I kind of wish there were more because uh, I've enjoyed uh, this series. I've enjoyed studying it, uh, enjoyed working through it. Um, Sometimes, I I know I give you guys a message on Sunday morning, but sometimes I'm selfish and I really enjoy reading and studying and preparing because it makes me go a little bit deeper, look at it a little bit differently. And uh, so I think God has that for me uh, during the week as well. So just putting that out there. as we go forward this morning. But if you haven't been with us and you're just jumping in today, don't worry. I got you. All right? Because we're going to do a little review just building up to chapter 4 because, again, it's important to have the context, but it's also important to kind of know where Paul's been taking us as he's been writing this letter. Paul wrote this to the church in Colossae, but again, it's not just a church, and sometimes we forget that. These are little churches uh, in that area. Actually, it's a valley, and there's a couple of churches around there. Laodicea and Hippias, we'll see some of those other villages or places of worship. And even within that, there are small groups within that that are meeting. They're meeting in homes, right? We don't have the, a church building even mentioned until almost the third century, uh, it's not in our scriptures, but again, the church is not the building, right? Church is the gathering of believers, it's people coming together to worship God. And so that's what we have here. And so Paul writes this, and he writes it to a group of churches that he's not even been to yet. That's tough to do. I know as a pastor, when I go to someplace else and I preach to a people that I, I don't know who the people are, it's actually a little, a little tougher, right? You don't know them, they don't know you. We don't have a relationship. And so Paul's doing that, and so that's kind of the backdrop to this letter. And if you are with us and been with us, what's the greatest threat to the churches of that time? I knew. I knew it. I knew some of you would come through for me. I knew some of you were paying attention, right? False teachers. Right? And, and again, as false teachers, they have been attacking who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, right? And actually what he continues to do. Because guess what? We're still battling the same battles they were battling then, right? False teachers have to bring down Jesus, right? right? Jesus is a lot more than what they were describing him as. And so Paul is defending Jesus in many ways. And as we've been going through the first couple of chapters, especially establishing that doctrine, right? That Jesus is supreme, Jesus is a reconciler, right? We talked about that. That's, that's the cross and the resurrection and how important those keys are to our salvation. Like the songs today and communion and, and everything we're talking about, pointing back to Jesus and how important that is, right? Linda also mentioned that we no longer have to sacrifice, right? We don't have to go back to that, that Jewish law. That was under attack as well. There was some of those Jews that wanted to go back to the old system. Understandably, but again, that's wrong. We're not there anymore. Jesus was the final sacrifice. That's been done. And then last week, we kind of shifted a little bit, right? Chapter 3 shifts a little bit to more about how we put that into practice, right? It's good to have good, solid doctrine. It's good to be aware of false teachers, but now how do we live that out, right? All right, quick checkup. 
Wives, how did you do this week? Anyone want to venture out? And How'd you do this week, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. How'd you do? All right, don't ask. All right, all right I know, I got that one, all right? That's one I did better. All right, husbands, all right, I'll ask you guys. Husbands, how'd you do loving your wives? And were you, we had two, right? Loving our wives and not being harsh with them. How'd you do this week? Jeb's give me a thumbs up, all right? Heidi's not punching him, so that's good. All right, I'm going to take that as an affirmation, right? Uh, Ike, Ike, did you do well? Good job. All right, all the way from the back row, so that's good. If not, um, give me some help, and we'll work this out together. We'll encourage each other. Kids, we have some kids in the room, right? Kids, how did you do obeying your parents? Yeah, some of you are a little bit older. I know some of you are over the age of 12, so you can still have to obey, right? right. I'll ask your parents later how that worked out. Right? But we talked about how important that is, Christ in our relationship. Those things should happen in our relationships, even down to our family. Right? Then we also expanded out to our workplace. All right? All right? We talked about slaves. Right? You who are working under someone, that when you have a boss, how did that go this week? How was your workplace? Did people say they saw Christ in you, or would they say that about you? Or do you know that you explained that, examined, uh, yeah, made that an example? Yeah, I'm tripping over my own words here. Because, you know, I don't have a job that I go to. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Right? But how about you that are in charge? How about you that are bosses, right? How did you treat those people that work for you? How did that go? Right? Again, we're to exemplify Christ in that. So that's what we covered last week. So you, if you're visiting today, you're, you're up to speed. We're all the way up, and now we're going to finish chapter 4. Again, we're not going to do verse 1 because verse 1 kind of went with chapter 3. And so we're going to jump into verse 2. And because I'm old, I need my glasses. So even with the large print, there we go. Verse 2, and oh, and I meant to mention, today's um, title, if you're looking for the title of the message, is Staying Connected to Christ. Staying connected to Christ. Right, we've had that theme of Christ as we've been going along. As I've mentioned, Christ in our relationships was last week. This week is staying connected. Right, that's going to be the key to everything. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we, mo- we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. All right, just a quick glance at these couple of verses. What do you see? What word kind of keeps coming up there? Am I the only one? Is it? Number one. All right, all right good. It's even up there on the board for you, right? Pray. Prayer is the key to staying connected. Prayer is the key to staying connected in, to Christ. I could wrap up the sermon now, right? You've got the, I gave you the title, I gave you the answer, we're all done, right? No. And prayer should be natural as a believer. But I'll tell you, it's not always, right? We can be honest, we wrestle with it. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Say we forget to pray. We just don't make it a priority. And so Paul is, in, is encouraging them here, and he says, devote yourselves. 
That word devote, right, is to, to make it a priority, to, to discipline yourself to pray, right? To make that a part. It, praying should be as natural for the believer as breathing, right? It's not always so. We struggle with that. We forget to pray, right? Or we get running so fast that, yeah, it just doesn't happen. Now, again, even with prayer, people take it to the wrong place. You can go to the extreme, right? The old Jewish custom was they would have certain times of prayer, and they, they would go and they would pray at this hour and this hour and as, as many as five times. There's even other religions that have that regiment, right? problem is that just becomes a task, right? Oh, check, I prayed, right? Again, there's some of that that's not bad to get in the habit, but if it becomes not connected, then it's not good either. I think Paul has that in mind here, and he's saying being watchful and thankful, right? Praising God. See, part of that relationship with Christ is that communication back and forth, that talking. And I've often said, not only just praying to God, but waiting and listening for God to answer back. And that takes discipline. That takes time. I've done it a couple times with a couple different groups, and I've challenged them for every minute that you pray, spend a minute listening. That's hard to do. It really is, but it takes some discipline to pray. Say you pray for five minutes, you listen for five minutes. Just sit in silence, not thinking of anything else, not checking your phone, just waiting and listening. It's difficult. But again, that's part of that relationship, right? Then Paul, not unso, he says, hey, pray for us also, right? Again, Paul doesn't know this group. He only knows a few people. But he said, hey, pray for, pray for me. Pray for me that I can proclaim Christ, right? It says the mystery of Christ, right? Again, because quite often Paul was preaching to people who, A, didn't know Christ, but B, didn't recognize him as Messiah. Right? Those Jewish followers who had not become believers yet. Or we're still struggling with that? Again, that was a mystery to them. We also know from the other texts that they had that struggle within, between the Gentiles and the Jews. And so Paul would get in trouble often with his Jewish friends because he would preach the Gentiles didn't have to go back to the law to become believers. They were on equal ground. We talked about that. Even last week we talked about how the slaves and the masters were equal in God's sight. Same with women and men, right? Husband and wives. Interesting enough here, he gets really specific in, in, in verse 4. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly, right? Always speaking it clearly. And I say sometimes I, I'm the wor- my own worst enemy. I get in the way of my words sometimes, right? Paul's praying that same prayer, that it comes across clearly, that it cuts to the chase of the heart. I don't misrepresent Christ. And so Paul's asking for prayer for that. He himself, we would say, the great missionary that he is, he shouldn't struggle with that, but yet he's asking for help and he's asking for prayer. So again, we recognize Paul here in this, but also this is a prayer for each of us. It should be. Verse 5. Every opportunity lies in the way you act toward outsiders. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. All right? We all know that we have to interact with the outside world. Right? Paul doesn't call us to be separatists, to just huddle around our, our own little group and our own little core family of believers, and that has its own struggles, but that we have to interact with the world, right? We have to interact with people who are not believers. But with that, every time we do that, there's an opportunity to show Christ, right? There's an opportunity there. I miss so many of them, right? I miss so many of them. And sometimes uh, it grieves me when I was like, oh, man, that person put it on the tee. I should have hit that. No problem. And I swung and I missed, right? In my busyness or in my forgetfulness or I get hung up in thinking of, you know, doing something the right way and not doing it God's way. All those things, right? We can, they become stumbling blocks. We don't see those opportunities, but he's saying, make the most of every opportunity. Whether it's to about prayer a little bit earlier, and one of the most dangerous prayers you can make in the morning as you go out, whether it's to work or even to the grocery store, hey, God, give me an opportunity, right? I've just seen God. If I, if I pray that prayer, it doesn't take long. It's amazing how quickly you get that opportunity. But I'm aware of it. I'm looking for it. And so we should be praying that prayer, and we should be looking for those opportunities. God also knows that our conversations, how we speak, right? We communicate with words, and we, we interact, and we have conversations. But we have to be careful in our conversations, right? The, the warning is here, right? Full of grace, Right? I've said this one often, right? Not expecting unbelievers to act like believers. Whether it be in our conversations, their actions, right? So we need to give grace. We also need to give grace to those that are believers, right? Because even sometimes as believers, we don't always act the way we should. I know no one else here, but I've I got that one. I'll, I'll cover that one, right? But always with grace. Giving grace. Yet, the balance, right? The, the balance, the tension, seasoned with salt, right? Not giving so much grace that we just give a pass on everything, we let everything go by, and we never say anything, right? Salt has that, that property of not only adding flavor or changing or, or exemplifying, but it's also that perseverance as well, right? It keeps. And so not forgetting who you are and not missing those opportunities, and sometimes doesn't take much, just a little bit, just a hint, of Christ in a conversation can change the whole conversation, right? Again, if you're looking for those opportunities, you'll see them in just a little bit. Again, not mean, being mean or not trying to cut them down, but just a little bit in there just to change the conversation from a physical to kind of pull it off, right? And then kind of pull it all together here, Paul says, so that you may know how to answer everyone, right? Right? Different conversations, different people are different places. There's wisdom in that. You know, how we speak to little ones, to those that are older, how we interact, right? Where people are at. 
Again, that's where that, that little bit of salt. So there's a, a lot in these few verses, right? There's the prayer, how we're to do that, the communication, but then how we are to interact with each other, and then how we are to interact with the world around us. We could just grasp that this morning. That's probably enough, right? That's, that's a lot. Charlie, you just kind of dumped a lot. But yet there's some more. Has anyone ever read the end of a letter or any of these chapters and said, man, why do they put that in there? Why do they put all these names and people? I mean, I don't know them, right? They're, they're nothing to me. Anyone ever wondered that? Oh, good. Whew. I thought I was the only one. Thanks, Don. Thanks for stepping up. Right? Right? As I've grown and as I study, they're really important. I'll tell you a little hint. Those names and things are what the scholars before us have kind of used to tie the letters together. They're not just standalones. These letters actually are very connected. The whole Bible is connected, right? And these are some of the traits that kind of connect some of the passages. And as you put, pull it together, it makes them not obscure or standalones, but they all kind of come together really nicely. I mean, Acts does that to a degree, but even some of these other letters, and as we read through some of these names, you'll find out that, hey, oh, that's over in that book as well. Oh, so there's a connection there. Oh, just it's kind of neat. Again, as I studied this one more time, and I said, oh, yeah, now I can see the connection. So again, these are important, and when you're doing your own studies, don't skim over them. You dig a little bit deeper, you can see the connection to the other letters, and it, it gives you a glimpse. It's a small glimpse, but it gives you a glimpse into what's going on in the, the time, the period, and the author, and the receivers of the letters. So anyways, that was for free. That was a bonus. It wasn't even in my notes, but Again, I was thinking that as we were getting ready to take on this next section. So verse 7, Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that is happening here. Remember, Paul just asked for prayer, right? Paul says, hey, I need prayer, right? I need prayer that I, I do these things, that my conversations, right? And so he says, hey, I'm sending you some people to tell you about my situation. Kind of neat how that's connected, right? And he says, I'm not just sending anybody. I'm sending Ty Jesus, right? He's, he's got news about me. He can give you an update. He can tell you where I'm at probably he's going to bring some prayer requests with him. Hey, here's some real needs that I have, right? Remember, Paul hasn't been there yet, and so he's working on that relationship, and so one of the ways that we work on relationship is that we tell each other what the need is. I often say that as your pastor. If I don't know the need or where you're at, I, I don't know. God doesn't give me a special, you know, hey, inbox where every person's need or, or things that are going on in your lives, it comes in. You have to tell me. You know, we, we have a dear sister that's in, in the hospital, right? She called me and let me know, hey, I'm having some problems. Franny's there today, and we need to be praying for Franny. She has an upcoming surgery tomorrow. But again, it came through communication. And so it's the same thing. They didn't have that then. There was no phone, no email, no text. They actually did it person to person. They would send, and they used letters. 
There's no, there wasn't even a postal service, so they had to send people. But he doesn't just send anybody, right? Paul knows this message is important, so he's sending one of his, his best guys. He's sending a couple good guys here, right? What do we learn about him? He's a dear brother. He's faithful, right? He's a faithful minister, right? Paul uses these words in, on purpose. He's someone you can trust. He's someone that you can receive, and he, he's trusted. What he says, I stand behind, right? And he's just not some high name or somebody I grabbed off the street. He's actually someone who's a fellow servant. He works with me. But he has a purpose, right? Again, that purpose is to let him know what's going on. The, the purpose of, hey, here's how the situation is here in Rome, where I'm at in prison. Here's what I'm needing, right? But Paul's not one way here, is he? He's also so that he can encourage you, right? Remember, Paul says over and over again, hey, I'm here because of the gospel. But don't let that discourage you, but let it encourage you to be more bold in your faith. He's also sending someone else, right? Sending Onipimus, our, our faithful dear brother. Again, that may sound familiar, it may not, but Philemon, when was the last time you read Philemon, right? Philemon's one of those that you can fly over pretty quickly, all right? For you that want something to study this week or if you're struggling, hey, go back and look at the book of Philemon. But you'll see the situation there. Philemon's the uh, master and whenever it says the slave, the slave that's run away, right? He's the one that, that ran away and Paul meets him in Rome and he actually ministers and he becomes a believer, and so Paul is sending him back to the very same church that his master's at. And again, the situation could be dire in some ways. I'm kind of giving you a little hint of the book of Philemon, but it's about reconciliation and forgiveness. So Paul is sending him back. See how that ties with what we talked about, slaves and masters, right? Again, we, in this picture, we have of two people actually in the same church a master and a slave, and Paul is bringing these two brothers back together. Right? Verse 10. I love how these all tie together. It's great. Verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Artias, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've re- you have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. All right, so we got a couple more people here, right? Archelaus is, is also mentioned. He's also from Thessalonica. Another connection, right? Yeah, remember, there's people that Paul interacts with from all different areas. And he's connecting them together. And again, his fellow prisoner, again, he may be in prison with him or just may be a servant of Christ and is coming under hard times with that. But he's there with them as well. Mark may sound familiar to you as well, right? Gospel of Mark, guess what? It's the same Mark. We're, 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 we're the same one here. Again, we're not sure, but he, uh, we are sure because he says, you know, the cousin of Barnabas, right? So he identifies him. Again, this is John Mark. This is the one that when Paul took out on his first missionary trip, he abandoned them, went back, right? Actually caused a split among the, the missionary trips, 
Some of you remember that story right early on when Paul went out and he got homesick and so he went back instead of finishing the trip. But yet he's been received. Paul's accepted him back. Paul's reconciled that relationship and said it's okay. can mess up. And so now Mark is once again part of that. It's a great story of how someone can mess up or come up short, but yet with forgiveness and time, a little bit of time going on, is restored back in the ministry. He says you can receive him and welcome him, right? He's part of the, the family. Verse 11. Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epirus, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus stand, sends his greetings. I'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute, but again, he, Paul makes the distinction here, hey, I have some Jews among me, but I also have some Gentiles, and they're all working together. Remember one of the, the problems, right, in the early church was that the Jews and the Gentiles were still staying separated. There was racism among them, or there was also different teachings among them. And again, division. Paul's saying, hey, here's a microcosm, even within my own group, of these working together. And again, he distinguishes them, but he doesn't show any difference between them. They're equal. And so he's sending, again, the greetings, again, that connection. And anytime you see that one of them says, hey, he's one of you, that means he's from that area. That's how we make that connection. We talked about FRS at the very beginning of this book um, as far as he's the one that most likely established the church there in Colossae in those areas. Laodicea and Hippias, they were all part of that grouping, probably evangelized to them. And he may have been kind of like the community pastor or the evangelist at very least. So there's that connection. And we get a little bit more insight into him here in these following verses, right? Separas, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, right? So again, like I said, he's that area pastor. He's that person in that, that grouping in that valley, but he's wrestling for you. Again, if he's a pastor, he's wrestling. He's, he's spending time in prayer, and he's praying, and he's wrestling. Again, that wrestling is, is more of a, a consistency, continuing to work through. Sometimes I think in my own prayer life, it, wouldn't it be great if we could just pray once and be done? However God answers, right? Yes, no, or wait, just be done really quick. Some of those things we have to pray over a long time. We have to, we, it's a wrestling, right? It's a continuation. Sometimes we get weary in that. Think of some of the folks in my own life. I've been praying for them to, to overcome maybe an addiction or even to come to know Christ. And again, as much as I wish it would happen right now, sometimes God lets that go on longer, allows them to. And so we have to pray over and over again for the same prayer requests. Stay faithful to that. 
But Ephraim's prayer here is he's wrestling not only for them, but he's praying for them to hold true, to stand up, right? Stand firm. All these doctrines, all these problems that are, they're facing, he's saying, hey, hold true, stand firm, don't, don't give up, don't listen to these false teachers, right? Along with that, as you're doing that, to grow, to become more mature, right? And fully assured, right? Be grounded, kind of the, the thought here. And again, Paul puts his stamp on that. Again, is that connection. Hey, I vouch for him. Paul doesn't do that often. And again, we have to be careful who we vouch for as well, right? We have to, to make sure that we know that person. We do recommendations, right? We, we got to vouch for them. And again, we're putting our name associated with them. It's really, we're connecting. And again, not only that little church there in Colossae, but these other two areas as well. Verse 14 introduces a couple more. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nymphia the, and, and the church in her house. Right, again, some of that insight, right? Luke, Luke the doctor, right? that's the same gospel, Luke, Gentile, doctor, Paul's dear friend, right? What, a, what an asset Paul had there in Luke in many ways, right? He had, a, a, he had his own physician, which, again, was limited in that day, but he also had someone spiritually who was asking the questions, was writing things for him, helping him along, and that encouragement. We also see Demas here. And again, Demas is kind of a little unknown. I'll just put that out there. Uh, some say it may be a shortened or a, a name for Dimitri, uh, who ends up leaving Paul later on. Don't know, but it's one of the group that's there, right? Demas. Again, they're all welcoming. They're, Paul's making that connection with them. Then he mentions a dear sister here, right? Nymphia. That's a, one of the ladies. She's probably the host. She's, it's her home that they're meeting in. Like I said, there's no church buildings at that time that's recognized, and so they would meet in homes. And again, it was quite often a home that would be centrally located, a place where people could walk to easily. And so they would be, a lot of these churches would be, be kind of strategically placed in where a group of people could come together. Right? It wasn't just a family, it was brothers and sisters. You can see that connection here. And so people would gather Maybe it was even just the fact that someone had a big enough room to meet in or a, a place that they could host, right? But whatever the case is, this is one of the people, and Paul knows of her, knows of the work, and so he's recognizing her. Making those connections. Verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Interesting, Laodicea, right? Laodicea is one of those churches that's mentioned in Revelations. Sadly, it's one of the churches that is actually on the, the wrong side. It's being rebuked in Revelation. John records that in Revelation, but it's the church that becomes lukewarm, right? And God is going to place judgment on them if they're either neither hot nor cold, they're just lukewarm, they're just there. They're not doing anything. They become complacent. 
But this point in time, no, Paul's encouraging, this is a good church. You say, well, what about, what about this letter from Laodicea, right? Do you see that there in Scripture? Well, there's no book in our Bible that says Laodicea, right? We don't have the, the Laodiceans letter. So either it got lost or it didn't fit the criteria for the canon, so we don't have that letter. But there was a letter. Again, Paul interacted with a lot of these churches. We know there are many letters that didn't make the canon or didn't make it through time. But we have a lot in God's Word. But there was interaction. We at least see that, right? And sure, the messages were the same, right? They're very similar. Paul would address the problem of that church, but also a lot of those problems were church, uh, problems that the church had uh, around them, but it also would be some of the same problems that we have today, and that's why it's important to continue to read these letters. So we have that connection there. Again, Revelation, Acts, Philemon, to Luke, to Mark, Revelation, they're all connected. They're all cohesive. Book of Acts pulls them all together as well. Verse 17. Tell Archippus that see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. So again, he's sending word to the, hey, see that you complete it, right? We don't know much about this young man, but many believe it, it may have actually been Philemon's son or someone connected him because he's mentioned in Philemon as well as dear. And so he's starting a ministry or he may be someone new to ministry, but Paul's encouraging him to continue on. Paul certainly does that often, right? He encourages those young men to continue on in the ministry. Think of Timothy and Titus, right? the pastoral epistles as well. Paul was all about discipleship. I love that fact. I never want to forget that. We think of Paul as the evangelist, the one that's going out, and certainly he does that, but he's also a disciple. He's bringing people with him. He's bringing them along, and he's teaching. He's doing both. It's not a either or. It's an and both. Probably a good model. It is a good model for us to follow as well. And lastly, verse 18, the end of chapter 4. Chains, I write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. And so he finishes the letter. I, Paul, write this. He, write, he says, I wrote it in my own hand. Right? Paul didn't always write his letters in his own hand, right? He quite often would dictate them. And again, that was the practice of the day. And again, it certainly would make it easier and and compiling and being able to do that. Remember, Paul's in prison, right? So it's not easy for him to do that. And again, some have surmised that he also may have had trouble with his eyesight. Um, and so it would be hard to read his writing. So he would have someone else do it. But at least here, Paul says, hey, write this in my own hand. Again, trying to make that connection. In some ways he's saying, hey, don't blame anybody else. This is from me. I'm I want a relationship with you. I'm connecting with you. And then a little reminder, right? Remind, remember, I'm in chains. And again, that would remind them too, like, why is he being in prison again? Oh, yeah, because he was sharing the gospel. And then lastly, grace be with you. Typical standard closing of the letter, right? Grace be with you. Or peace be with you. It's the same, same opening, same closing in many ways. So, you've done it. 
you've been here and you, most of you have worked through the book of Colossians. We've come to the end of the series. Hopefully, prayerfully, you've seen the importance of good sound doctrine. Hopefully you've seen the importance of recognizing false teachers and refuting those. Hopefully you've seen how important it is to have a relationship with Jesus, all of Jesus, not just the parts that you like or the parts that you dislike. Hopefully you've seen how the relationship uh, of Christ should affect the relationship you have with each other, whether it be family, workplace, a question outside. Right? So just a couple of uh, questions for you this morning as we've gone through this. I didn't even put my notes out here in the right order, but... So, how well are you connected? How well are you connected? Right? How's your prayer life? Another way of putting it. I'll put them together, right? How well are you connected? How's your prayer life? You know, only you can answer that, and again, maybe this would be a, a good time to take some time and say, all right, I need to put some things back in. Maybe I need to put some disciplines back in. I used to get up early and pray, or I used to take some time at my lunch hour and eat quick and pray. Maybe I used to pray at night before I went to sleep, and I've stopped doing those things. Right? So prayer life, how well are you connected? Also, just as Paul has invested in others, who are you investing in? Right? Paul has this group of people around him, and it's not because Paul's this great guy, but it's because... He's invested in them. He's spent time with them. He's teaching them. Who are you doing that with? Who are you doing that with? Who are you discipling? And if Paul was your pastor, what would he say about you? Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we have worked through your word, and especially this morning, Lord, we see the importance of prayer. And Lord, there are many times that we forget, and we ask for forgiveness for those times that we forget to ask you, to praise you, to spend time with you. Lord, help us to listen to you more, to be better at it. Lord, also help us as we interact with those around us, Lord, that we do it with the grace that you've given us yet not giving up the salt to speak into. Continue to, Lord, help us as a body that we continue to grow, and Lord, that we continue to stay in your word, that we stay true to you, and that we have sound doctrine in our teaching. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to grow in our relationship with you each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask a couple of our elders to come up as we prepare for communion this morning. Our communion table is an open communion table, and what that means is that it's open to any of you that are believers. Um, it's not a membership-only thing. It's not just um, that you know, if you're here this morning, you are welcome to join us in communion. But it does come with a caution, and again, here at Point Way, we do it together as a church family, but we also understand the importance, what it means, and the warning that's given here, and that's given in Corinthians, and we take that seriously. It says, so that whoever eats 
of the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so what we like to do is just right where you're at, just take a moment, close your eyes, bow your head, and just between you and God, uh, make sure you're recognizing what we're about to do. I'm going to ask Tony if he'll give thanks for the, the bread and for the cup that we are about to receive.
So we do this together. It says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. goes on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so we celebrate that, and we recognize that, and appreciate that, and also reminded as the ladies come forward that there are still cups and juice, I mean, juice and bread that are still left over. And again, it should be a reminder uh, for us that there are still people that yet don't know Christ. And so um, look for those opportunities this week to share Jesus with others. Hi, for those of you who don't know, my name is Lillian Mazurka, and I've been coming to Point with my family for the past seven or eight years. This summer, I was a counselor at Camp Jim, and one of the things God showed me is that there are a lot of hurting and broken people in the world and in our community who need Jesus. And the name of this last song is My Jesus, and it is about our testimony and what God can do in our lives. This is my last Sunday at Point Way before I go off to college, and I just want to let you all know that it has been a blessing and a privilege to serve on the worship team here and to worship with all of you. And um, I want to encourage you that Christ is working in your life just like he is working in my life. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know God, I encourage you to give your life to him because life with God is so much better than doing life alone. <laughs> 